check, check, check. All right, we are looking good. What's the essence of being a believer? What's the essence of Christianity? It's kind of a tough question. Is it, is it being clean cut? Is that, would you say that? I mean, is that the essence of Christianity? Is it being liberal? Or is it being conservative? Is it wearing pants that fit well? What is the essence of Christianity? Is, is, it, is it making sure you do your drinking only in your house, in your own house? Is that it? Is it not smoking? Is that the essence of Christianity? What would your guess be on the, that question? What is the essence of Christianity? We saw it just a few weeks back in the life of Abraham. Does anybody remember what our first study of Abraham talked a lot about? And it's okay if you don't. I mean, I wouldn't either if I hadn't looked it up. Remember what it was? What's the essence of Christianity? It's the call of God. It's the call of God. It's the fact that someone has not made a decision for Jesus, though that is often a part of it. It's about God's initiative. And that's what we see here early on in the Scriptures, especially in the life of Abraham. It's all about the initiative of God. He is the one who always works first in a person's life. And it is truly life-changing when God works. When God calls, you answer. And that's what we see here with Abraham We're seeing him also be sent. Because of this call, we're seeing him be sent on a journey. And he's blowing paradigms as he goes. He's blowing paradigms about what the essence of a believer is or what Christianity is. Because, you know, there's one camp, kind of the conservative camp uh, of Christianity, that says, you know, the essence of of being a good Christian is, is faithfulness and duty to your family. That's what it's all about. It's about duty to family. It's about staying in your proper role and being responsible in that role. It's about being a good father. It's Father's Day, so it makes sense that we would talk about that. You know, that's kind of, the, that's kind of one side of the road. Well, guess what happens to Abraham because of the call of God? Do we remember? What happens to Abraham? He leaves his family. <laughs> Shirks his responsibilities. His parents are back somewhere in, you know, Haran. They, they, one of them stopped there. His father stopped there. Now all that's left with him is his nephew. So he's blowing paradigms as he goes. But also, in the other camp, right, in the more liberal camp, someone might say, well, no, that's not true. That's not what really comprises someone who, who is, is, self, is, is self-made, right? That's kind of the liberal ideal, right? It's, I'm going to make my own way. I am going to, for, I'm gonna, who cares about responsibilities to society or whatever? I'm going to be my own individual, and I'm going to define myself, Right? Isn't that it? Kind of the essence of what we consider to be liberalism. I'm going to define myself. I'm going to put whatever label I want onto myself, and then you're going to have to, you need to embrace my label. Right? What happens with Abraham? He's going to blow that paradigm too. Abraham, called by God, blowing that paradigm, he says, no, I'm going to live for God. God calls him to live for himself. God calls him to be a servant, to give his life and sacrifice for others, to not take labels for himself, but to actually become a servant of the people that he's around. So the reality is this. Y'all, I don't care what camp you put yourself in. I don't care what you think might be important for Christianity. There are a lot of things. I can't get into all of them today. But regardless, the essence, the essence is a call. And the substance of that call is relationship. Always relationship with God, because that's what God is calling people into. It's what God is calling Abraham into here in our passage. And guess what? Though Abraham has been called to God, 
by God. And though his relationship now is, is firming up, Abraham is called the hero of faith in the Bible. The New Testament lifts him up as this incredible hero of faith. But what happened when we last heard from Heath Salzman in chapter 12? Does anybody remember that one? It wasn't that long ago. It was only two weeks ago. Remember what happened? Abraham goes before Pharaoh, and what does he do? In Egypt? Can answer? What does he do? Yeah, 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 yeah. He lies. He's like, I'm scared. Ah! I'm going to take things in my own hands. God, I'm not trusting you right now, though I know you've called me into this relationship. I just, I'm not feeling it. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, this right here, this is not my wife. This is my sister. And so, yes, you can take her into your harem. That'll be fine. Wow, what a great father. What an upstanding guy. Absolutely. Right? Utter failure. The dude falls flat on his face, and it is a complete embarrassment. So the question I have for us, the question before Abraham coming into chapter 13, and I think the same question could be said for us, is this. What do we do with failure? How do I deal with failure in life? I think it's a more important question even than how, how are you able to deal with suffering in your life. How are you able to deal with failure? Because essentially, there's two things that happen to a human being when life fails or when you fail. We're all afraid of it. I mean, we'll at least admit that. We may not talk about all of our failures, but we'll at least admit, yes, I'm deathly afraid of failure, of losing my job, of losing my family, of losing something. Um, and, and there's kind of two ways that we deal with failure. We, the first way, and this is the way that I often deal with failure, I've done it many times in my life, is throw a pity party first, right? Oh, I'm such a bum. Oh, just worthless. Oh, I can't do anything right. Oh, I can't stand myself. I should have done better. I should have gotten together pity. Then, on the heels of that, is, okay, we wake up the next morning and we're like, okay, I just screwed up really bad, but I'm going to work harder today. I'm going to make sure I don't fail anymore. I'm going to grit my teeth. I'm going to stay up longer. I'm going to beat everyone else out, and they're going to find out that, no, I'm not a failure. End of the day, I'm not a bum. Even though yesterday I thought I was a bum, and probably tomorrow I'm going to think I'm a bum, but today I'm going to work really hard. So there's one response to failure, and then there's another response, and I think it's what we see here. Let's read it again. Chapter 13 of Genesis. Uh, sorry, I've got to open my Bible to it. Chapter 13 of Genesis. So Abram, so, okay, failure. The dude, fa- flat on his face. Here he is. He's, he's going to move again, though. He's going he's to get all his stuff packed up, and he's got a lot of stuff. And he went up from Egypt, it says, and he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been. Okay, this is key to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. What is Abram doing? We talked about it with confession today. He is not, he's been called by God. He is in relationship with God. He's just screwed up royally. So what's his response? We use the term, it's kind of a churchy word, I'll define it for us. We use the term repentance, but that's a churchy word. But basically all it means is returning to God. And that's precisely what we're seeing with Abraham here, Abram. 
He is returning to God. He's remembering. He's like, okay, I'm flat on my face. Failure, screw up. Where did I have shalom? Where did I have peace? He goes right back to the first place that he worshiped the Lord. He goes back to that same altar and he calls in the name of the Lord. He goes back to God. He goes back to the source of true life. He doesn't just say, uh, I'm just such an idiot, uh, screwed up. Now I'm just going to work hard. I'm going to work hard. No, he returns to the Lord. He repents. And he receives from God. That's the key thing about repentance. When we return to the Lord, it's not us saying, I'm going to do so much better. I'm going to work harder for you, God. Look at my muscles. They're so big. I'm amazing. No, that's not repentance. Repentance is, I've screwed up. Let me receive again of your grace, Lord. Let me receive again of your goodness. And we're going to see this play out in Abram's life here in this chapter. There's two separate trajectories that occur in this chapter of Genesis in chapter 13. Lot and Abraham, or Abram. I I don't know, I keep getting that confused. He hasn't had his name changed yet. It's Abram. So Abram is going to take one direction, and Lot is going to take another direction. Let's read about that a little bit. A new test arrives. Abram, he's repented. He's feeling some rest. His heart is in a good place. Lot, we're going to see, is not. But there's, a, there's some fresh conflict that's about to, you know, it's a story. So, phew, fresh conflict is thrown into the scene. Here it is. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Let's, let me, let me uh, take that one step further. It says, and quarreling, strife. Conflict arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. Mo money. Mo what? Problems. That's what's going on here. They've got tons of stuff. They have tons of cattle. And they're looking at the grazing land in front of them. And it's like there's not enough. Uh Uh-oh. And everybody starts to fight. Because that's what happens when money is involved. I don't know if you've ever had some matriarch or patriarch die in your family before. And maybe they were wealthy. It happens. And then all the kids scramble for the stuff. You ever had this happen? You ever seen this happen? And what, what occurs generally? Fighting. Lots of bickering. Happened in my family when my grandmother died. And it was all about the nostalgic furniture in her house. And I mean, literally, cousins cousins I knew and I loved and that I hugged on a regular basis were like calling us vipers, you know, for wanting the chest of drawers that was in my grandmother's bedroom. Mo, mo money, mo problems, I'm telling you. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that uh, the Bible talks about a lot in Proverbs. It's like, you better be super, super, super careful before you strike your hand in pledge in some sort of business partnership or before you put up debts for your neighbor your neighbor got in trouble financially, and you're like, oh, I'll help you out. I'll, I'll let you use some of my assets. The Bible is actually really realistic and is like, probably don't do that. Because it's, I don't know if any of you in here have experienced this, but business partnerships fall apart all the time and cause incredible amounts of strife. I mean, you, I, it may be personal for you. You may have just read something on the news. But it can be devastating when money becomes this source of incredible conflict. Proverbs 17, 14 says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. 
So we're hoping Abram is smart enough to drop the matter before the dispute breaks out. But the reality is, what we're seeing here in the, in the life of Lot is that it's not just that Lot has a lot of possessions. It's that the possessions have Lot. That's what's occurring. Because they come up... Here, I'll, I'll show you. I'll show you. In chapter 13... Oh, wait. No, no, no. There's this great passage I forgot to mention. From 1 Timothy chapter 6... You may have, this is such a beautiful, I have, I have to just bring this up. It says, this is verses 9 and 10 of 1 Timothy 6. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Important point here? It's not... Money, that's the root of all kinds of evil. What is it? The love of money. It's all about desire. It's all about desire. It's not, money itself is pretty neutral. Those little bills you have in your, in your, well, we don't have bills anymore. The stuff, the digital numbers in your bank account, you know, it, it's fairly neutral. It's, it's the, our hearts that turn it into a source for quarreling, for strife, for problems. And this is what we're seeing here in this response of, of Lot. So Lot, so they come to, um, they come to this kind of view of the land in front of them. They're in Canaan, right? They've traveled there. The call of God has been on Abraham. They come to this view, and we're going to see now the results of the repentance that Abraham had experienced at the altar of the Lord. In this patriarchal society, the one that Abraham was living in at the time, If you were the head of the household, if you were in Abram's position, it was an absolute no-brainer that you would assert your rights to the land in front of you. I mean, it was unheard of that you would give up that right to another person. But we're seeing, again, as God works in the heart of Abram, as God grows him in his faith, what is his response as they look at all this land in front of them? I don't know if you noticed it from the passage. Abram defers to his nephew. It's absurd. Again, blowing paradigms. The call of God is going to blow paradigms. And that's what's happening here. He says, okay, Lot, you you, you, you pick. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. You get to choose which land you want. And Lot's like, yes! Because again, we're going to see here, his heart is rather desperate for what he had seen in Egypt. Remember, they're just coming out of Egypt. And they saw a lot of money, y'all. Back then, the Pharaoh in Egypt had, an inc- had wealth that you can only dream of. Gold-plated race cars. It was incredible. I mean, if you wanted it gold-plated, Pharaoh could gold-plate it. Guarantee your pet, he could gold plate it. There was so much money. You can just imagine what both Lot and Abram are feeling leaving that place. Even though they have themselves a ton of stuff, it was like, oh, paradise. Pharaoh just says, I want that, get it. You want that, get it. Give it to him. I mean, it was just instant. It, who wouldn't want that? You know? Come on, dads. I'm, I'm just making fun of dads for just a second. Um, 
But here's what it says in chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 10. It says, so Abram has deferred. Abram's deferred to his nephew. Said, if you go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. Okay, that's the setup for the scene. And here's what it says about Lot. It says, Lot looked up and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered. Hmm. Like the garden of the Lord. Oh, yeah. Like the land of Egypt. Ding, 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 ding. Towards Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So guess what? Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. It is really important. The scholars all say this. They are agreed. The commentators on this passage of Bible, they say this is unusual. This phraseology is unusual. This sort of narrator way of putting in what Lot wanted. It says, it was, it says the Jordan was well watered. It was like the garden of the Lord. This is a Hebrew pointing out to us, watch out. This man's heart has been captured. And it's been captured by something other than God. Land, money, beauty, whatever you want to call it, he is now sucked in. He, he, his heart now is hooked on something in this world. And it, it makes perfect sense that the narrator here would talk about the garden of the Lord. I mentioned it earlier in our worship service, but it's all about this concept that once we were cast from the garden, once Adam and Eve were cast from the garden, there is a loss, a deep loss of security, a loss of identity, a loss of meaning, a loss of, of what we truly desire. And so the human heart is like, gimme, 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 gimme. I got to figure out who I am, what I'm supposed to do. It must be that career. Woo! That'll, that'll do it. That'll complete me. That'll get me back to that place of security I always long for. Or maybe, oh, it's the spouse. If I just had a spouse, if I just had a spouse that was better than the one I've currently got, then I would finally be happy. Right? Or it's, maybe it's the car, or the house, or the new phone, or the new video game, or the new movie, or the fill in the blank, right? Our hearts do this. They're like, mm, we're super insecure. Mm, I need more. I need stuff, jam things into here and help me feel secure and complete and happy. Jam them in. Here's Lot, and he's going... I'm going to get that piece of land right there. It looks like Egypt. It's like the garden. And I'm going to jam it in there. What's the problem with him trying to jam the garden into his heart and be like, finally, I'm going to be complete if I get that next thing. What's the problem? There's no God. It's just the garden. And the garden without God is one of the most unsatisfying things you can ever imagine. The, the, the joy, the satisfaction is short-lived, And as we will see, as we continue to walk through Genesis and we see the story of Lot play out and we see the story of Abram play out, Lot's is a sad story, y'all. We see how the more he becomes enamored with this wealth, the more he becomes enamored with things of this earth, he actually, he doesn't move, first he moves just to the outskirts of Sodom. And he's kind of like, and he knows what's going on in Sodom. He knows what's happening there. He knows this is a town where people are sinning greatly. But he's like, whatever. It looks great. I mean, their yards are so well manicured. I've got to be in this place. He's like, this is the neighborhood I'm moving into. 
Yeah, they do some crazy stuff, and I'm about to have some crazy stuff happen in my family, but whatever. Vegas it is, baby. So he moves to the outskirts first, but then he moves into the town of Sodom. We'll see that story later. That's just a preview. It's not good. Lot's heart is hooked because there's a blinding effect that happens when we decide that what's really going to complete us, what's really going to make us happy, is something on this earth. Something from the garden, shall we say, as it's talked about here. Okay, so there's Lot. That's what's happening with Lot, right? We've got Abram is coming from failure, but he's coming from repentance, and he's in a really pretty settled spot. He defers this choice about the land to his nephew Lot, and also... He is, he's just in a peaceful place. He's with the Lord, it says. And we're going we're gonna to read about that here in a second. Oh, sorry, let me, my pages are getting messed up. Um, so Abram, here we go. Abram. Abram is going to receive the call afresh. So Lot, again, is sliding down this path of, I'm going to find true happiness on the garden, in the garden, for my money and my wealth. And Abram hears again the voice of the Lord where God reiterates his call. Again, the essence of being a believer, the essence of Christianity is the call. God's going to reiterate. He's going to encourage Abram through this call, through this reiteration of the call. He says, let's put, uh, i got to find it. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are, look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. God's saying, I'm going to just be amazingly faithful to you. Uh, It's more promises from God, right? It's one of the themes. We're going to see 12 times in our study of Abraham, between chapters 12 and 25, God promises him something through his call. And this is one where he's standing up, the commentators say he's standing up on this perch. It's like a cliffside, basically. And God is like, look out before you. Look at this, everything you see. I'm going to give it to you all. All of it I'm going to give to you. Why? Because you're faithful? Because you're not going to fail me ever again? No, because I am faithful as the Lord. And I am the one who's going to bring you into the land. You know, this is actually a mirror picture of something in the New Testament. Do you guys remember where Jesus is taken up to a high point? Remember this little story? There's this dude. His name's Satan. And he takes Jesus up to this high little cliff. And he says, look out before you, Jesus. What do you see? Look east, look west, look north, look south. And Satan says to him, if you'll worship me, if you'll bow down to me, I'm going to give you all of that. I'll give you all of that. And of course, it's silliness because it's already all Jesus is by right. And what does Jesus do? He refuses it. He refuses what is his by right. He loses all. It is a reflection of what's happening to Abraham by God's grace in this passage. God is giving to Abraham all because there will come one day one who will lose all for Abraham. Out of his own bloodline, there is going to be one who comes to this earth and refuses his rights and gives up everything, gives up his glory, his power, his goodness 
for Abraham. Jesus lost it all so that we gain it all, those that are called of God. And what does this lead Abraham to do? We'll end with this. We're going to end with this. What does this lead Abraham to do? He goes into the country again. He travels a little bit further. He goes by the trees of Mamre near Hebron. The word Hebron in Hebrew means communion. It means fellowship. It means he is returning to a deeper fellowship and communion with God at the end of the passage. It began with him repenting, right? Being before the altar of the Lord, drawing near to the Lord. And the chapter also ends with Abram being near to the Lord, drawing near to the one who loves him and who gives grace to him. We conclude with application. I want to return back to the question we started with. And y'all, it's a question all of us have to answer on a regular basis. What do you do with failure? What do you do with failure? Failure is, is a revealer of the foundations of our heart. It's all it is. It's like a searchlight. It reveals the foundations of our heart. And when we fail in something, there is the temptation, right, like I mentioned earlier, to self-pity, to being, to being sad, to being sort of woe is me, to thinking once again we're a bum. And then our temptation is, once we've kind of embraced this idea that we're a bum, our temptation is to think, I'm going to work myself out of this, right? It's like the movie Rocky, of course, everybody's favorite movie, right? Rocky, when he's talking with, um, I don't remember who he's talking with, but he's, he's talking about fighting, right? About, about punching people in the face a lot. And he's like, I don't even have to beat this guy. Talking about his, his newest opponent, you know, he kind of knows he's not going to beat him. Um, and, and he's like, I don't have to beat him. All I need to do is I need to go the distance. That's what matters. And then, and then his friend asks him, um, why do you need to go the distance, Rocky? He's like, because then I will know that I'm not a bum. That's the temptation for us all. When failure hits, the temptation for us all is to be like, I'm going to find something on this earth, something that I can do, that's going to prove to myself and prove to the world that I'm not a bum. I'm going to do it. I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to scratch and claw so much that I'm finally going to reach that point where I'm not a bum. Harold Abrams, Chariots of Fire. Anybody remember that one? Chariots of Fire. Racing, like foot racing, running. Another way to put it. 100-yard dash. Harold Abrams was a British runner, and his... Um, comment about running was I don't care if I win the gold medal the gold medal doesn't matter because when that gun goes off I have 10 seconds to prove the worth of my existence he was in that camp right he's in the camp of his foundation was being revealed by he couldn't fail because he had to prove he wasn't a bum by how hard he worked y'all Abram as he returns in repentance us, as we return to God in repentance, we're reminded that the foundation that brings true rest, the foundation that brings true peace, is the grace of God. Is, yep, you're a bum. But you know what? I love you. And my grace is sufficient for you. 
and I lavish my gifts upon you. Look east, look west, look north, look south. I'm going to keep giving to you. You're going to keep being unfaithful to me, God says, but I'm going to keep giving to you because that's what I do with those that I call. I'm a God who gives. I'm a God who gives grace over and over and over again. So my challenge is, don't rely on pitying yourself today. Don't rely on trying tomorrow morning to suck it up a little bit harder and figure out that you're not a bum after all. Just rest. Rest in God's grace. He loves you. The Father who calls loves. And he proves his love for us through Jesus Christ. And unfortunately this morning, we don't have the table up here that is a visible reminder of the proof that he loves us. We're going to see a different reminder of the proof of God's love. So as we, boom, right on time, rock on. As we transition to the pool downstairs, I just want to say a couple things about baptism because it's probably going to be loud in there. They have fans blowing and it's going to be like, we're just going to get down to business. <laughs> so let me read a couple of things before we head down about the sacrament of baptism. But let's get the kids, are the kids already in here? What? The song? Yeah, should we do mm, Yeah, let's do, you want to do that before I make some comments about baptism or after? Let's see. Time-wise. Let's do it before. You guys ready? Feeling it? Let me pray before we do that. Lord, thanks for, thanks for the reminder that you are the one that call us, that you are the one that hold us in relationship, and that you are the one who keeps giving grace. Lord, I pray that we would just be full of peace today as you come and you fill us. Lord, thank you for this visible reminder of baptism, of the fact that you call us into covenant with yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing. Hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Just watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. How indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. When before the throne I stand in him complete, 
Jesus, die my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. Praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead oh praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead praise the one who Paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Amen. All right, before we head down, just a couple of things I want to remind us about baptism. I mean, we just sang about it, ultimately. We just sang about the fact that he's the one who washes us uh, with his blood and brings us newness of life. Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament, one of the two sacraments of the New Testament, wherein Christ hath ordained the washing with water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost to be a sign and seal of our engrafting into Christ of remission of sins by His blood, of regeneration by His Spirit, of adoption, which we read about earlier, and resurrection unto everlasting life, and whereby the parties baptized are solemnly admitted into the visible church and enter into an open and professed engagement to be holy and only the Lord's. The sacrament of baptism not only shows God's grace, but it is also a means by which His grace is communicated to His people. For by the right use of this ordinance, the grace promise is not only offered, but really exhibited and confirmed and conferred by the Holy Ghost to such as are belonging unto Him according to the counsel of God's own will in His appointed time. And lastly, last little point I want to make about baptism, is the primary focus of baptism is to be on God's initiative. Just like Abram, God's initiative and His calling, baptism reflects and shows the same thing. It's about God's initiative to establish a covenant with His people, marking them as His own, like Abram, 
assuring them of the truth of his promises, like Abram, and calling them to covenant faithfulness, like Abram. This is a beautiful... Y'all, this is a picture that has continued in the church since the time of the Old Testament. And we get to experience it today. That being said, let's head on downstairs. It might be like an extra minute before I get down there because i got to change. So... Let's head on down. Where's my, uh, do you have my shorts? Thanks. Can you know how to get down there? Can you lead folks? Y'all can just follow Christy. You can just, you can, hey, Lennon, this way.